I'm Daniel Gowerluck, and this is On Earth. On Earth is brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on Earth, we're talking to Anton Santos. Anton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Now, you are an undergrad here, right? Yes, I am. Great. What are you studying? Uh, I'm currently entering my fifth year studying a combined major in science that includes life sciences, chemistry, and environmental science. Wow, that's quite diverse. I know what chemistry is, and environmental science is quite well known, but what's life science? Uh, Life science, in my experience, has been what was originally known as biology. It stretched back to high school where they renamed the class from biology 11 or 12 to life sciences. And I think they've extended to understand that it includes biology, biochemistry, and all the integrations of different parts of science. So you're quite the interdisciplinarian. Mm -hmm. I think they have another major called uh, integrated science at UBC. But I found that combined major, which I think is an inaccurate name, because it doesn't mean I'm in a triple major or a double major, but I think it was more suitable for my interests. And why were you interested in these three fields? My initial goal entering university was to become a dentist. I quickly realized (laughs) that the long-term dream of becoming a dentist didn't align with my goals, but the program did offer me the flexibility to both satisfy the requirements for dentistry or any other postgraduate school, but also it gave me the space to learn and explore about the things that I was interested in, which just so happened to be those three subjects. Okay. And what's your favorite part about these studies? My favorite thing is its biggest strength, which is that you get a lot of breadth in what you want to study. They require you to take, I think, three three courses in each of those three things you want to study, but it's up to you what you want to take. Mm. It also becomes easier as you get closer to graduation because... The advisors want you to graduate, the university wants you to graduate, so you get a little bit more flexibility in the type of courses you want to take. If they don't allow certain pharmacy courses to be taken for your life science credit, they might be more lenient and allow it to allow it as a credit for you, knowing that you'll graduate sooner or later and they'd rather have you out of here sooner. <laughs> and are you thinking of going back for um, a, a master's degree? or I am considering a master's degree. I'm not quite sure what I want to study yet, but I know that if I want to pursue what I now think would be something I want to go after, which is to be a knowledge translator for public health. Mm. I do understand that having a master's degree would really help, and I'm sure it would solidify me in knowing that this is actually what I want to pursue. That's great. Um, We've seen, especially in the last few years, how important it is to have someone who can translate what the experts are saying into something the public can understand and uh, have faith in. I think it's a big challenge, especially in every household, uh, everyone's had those dec- discussions about determining whether or not you'll wear a mask, you'll get a vaccine. And even though I think in my experience growing up, it's been very clear that getting a vaccine is just part of what you do to help yourself and your community. It's just as important to be able to help inform people so that they can make their own decisions. It's not about changing your mind. It's about giving you the tools to make your own decisions. That's a great way to think of it. Um, less combative and more informative. Mm-hmm. Um Did you change your perspective because of the pandemic? I don't think the pandemic was instrumental to my decision. 
growing up, it's always been a big thing for me to learn about science and to find ways to break complex ideas down into something that meets me where I'm at. Um, my mother has a background in medicine. She used to be a physician. So to me, asking questions about all those words that she would talk about or all the instruments in her office was commonplace. So for me, it's always been a very, very big, um, uh, how do you say it? I've been very lucky to have the opportunity to have her background and her expertise and also her willingness to teach me at a young age. It's not something that everyone has the opportunity to have. So I'm very grateful to at least extend what I've learned so far. I might only be in my undergrad, but that's years away from anyone in high school or elementary school or someone who hasn't studied science like I have in the past five years. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great that you've been doing it for um, so much of your life. <laughs> Uh, now, that's the best part of your uh, studies. What's the worst part? <laughs> oh, uh, the biggest thing is that if you want to integrate or rather combine something like computer science with two other subjects, you're not a priority student. It's going to mm -hmm. be always for the students whose primary major is that one subject, whether that's a life science major, chemistry, or environmental science. If you want to pursue computer science, you're going to have to get lucky, patient, and maybe really patient is a better word because the seats are prioritized for those computer science students and you'll have to wait. It also is a challenge explaining your major to your parents, family, or friends. Uh, your editor, as they listen to this podcast, will see how many words I've just splurged through. And like you said, everyone knows chemistry. People are getting to know environmental science, but then I have to explain life science. I have to explain that it's not a triple major. So there's those two things. It's a mouthful. And also you're not a priority student for a lot of courses. It's the blessing and curse of beating your own path. You exactly. get the freedom of uh, doing what you want and studying the courses you like. Um, but you have to propel yourself. Mm -hmm. I guess it's like being a YouTuber or a social media influencer. A lot of them mm -hmm. have to explain their way. But it's one way to explore your own interests. And it's not a big price to pay. Good. Well, I'm glad it's not too bad. In your studies... Um, I'm curious, have you made any discoveries that you'd care to share? I think most of my discoveries have been within the realm of UBC and how to make yourself stand out. When it comes to UBC, I think it was a big challenge uh, entering the pandemic as a student because I transferred from Langara in my first year to UBC as the pandemic started. And I wanted to find a way to find community. Langara is a huge commuter school because it's only one block. Uh, UBC is bigger, but it can be a big challenge to make friends when everyone's screen is turned off. It was mm -hmm. Microsoft Teams back then. Zoom wasn't big yet in those first two weeks and no one wanted to say hi. I found that it was just so much easier for me to start off with my camera on, say hi to people. And then as soon as other people speak, I turn my camera off, put my hoodie on, get comfortable, but it breaks the ice so much faster. This kind of brings up the idea of how to stand out. I learned that it's very easy to just ask questions and invite people who aren't participating in group discussions or to ask questions even if I know the answer. I just want to give a space where other people feel just as welcome as I do. And it's very easy to do, to do that if you let them highlight the things that you know they already know. It makes me seem more vulnerable when I ask what, a, what an integral was. To, to be honest, I asked that question many times in class. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what any of the little symbols were for first year math. But even when I knew it, it made it so much easier for them to feel comfortable with me, knowing that I was willing to ask the, those stupid questions is what it feels like sometimes. But really, it's just an opportunity to connect and to make people feel like they belong here too. I remember in my undergrad doing a, um, 
an economics course with a first time uh, professor mm -hmm. and he was super nervous. And whenever he'd ask questions, um, the class was bored to tears, unfortunately, uh -huh. but he was a sweetheart and, um, no one ever had any questions. So I uh -huh. purposely asked questions. I knew the answers to right. Right. Just because you'd see his face light up because yeah. someone was finally engaging with him. Um, some people hated me because they were like, we just want this class to be over. <laughs> right, right. They just want to leave. They just want to leave. Um, but he started to relax and he got better as he relaxed. It was when he was tense that he was um, quite dull. <laughs> right. And it also makes people so much better at what they do. And you don't know that until they actually get a chance to like, show their talents off. So mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you also had the opportunity to inspire some confidence in someone, <laughs> knowing that they also hold the keys to your grade. So well, it's probably best <laughs> that they can teach your... Uh, teach their class well. Yes. Yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, when I interview the, the students in our department, um, I get to hear about their field stories. Uh, do you do any field work with your degree? Uh, I've been challenged by two things. One, I'm not in the field too much. And two, COVID was 24 months-ish of my degree. Nonetheless, I decided I'd take two courses that let me explore the field a little bit. One of them was Science Communication 300 or Sci 300 uh, under my degree. That one allowed me to do two investigative projects. One of them was an R4 bus study. Here at UBC, I noticed that the bus loop is arranged in a very, very simple manner. It's just a big U, but people always find a way to line up for the R4 from the bus stop all across McInnes Field into the Aquatic Center. Yeah, I've noticed that. It's unnecessary because the board, the, the bus allows for three-door boarding. The 49 doesn't. I don't think the 33 does. And the 99 does. So I think people should have the knowledge to know that you can get on all three doors. I was really curious to find out what it was. And a project from that class, Psi 300, inspired us to actually go after it. What I found is that after five days of counting how many people lined up for each door and how many people actually used all of those three doors with the R4, um, it turns out that that back door has four times as many people lining up for it versus the middle and front doors. Mm. If you compare it to the 99, which is just down that block, they have about even numbers and people use all three doors evenly. Yeah, the 99 is the Wild West. It is, yeah. But the benefit is that your odds of getting on are better, especially when it's raining or rush hour. Mm -hmm. Because there will be a cutoff. The bus is only there for so much time. And if you're in that back line, the bus will leave unfilled. The oh, 99 yeah. will be almost full, but the R4 almost always has a straight sight line from the front of the bus all the way to the back. That's so strange. It's amazing how different bus lines um, have different characters uh, and at different times of the day, too. Um, I remember taking a late bus one day and, and noticed um, it was not full of the students I was used to taking mm -hmm. um, during rush hour. It was full of mature uh, citizens who'd um, ah. started the day a bit later. Right. So they probably didn't have the time. <laughs> it, um, it, it, it was more leisurely. Ah, I see. I see. <laughs> yeah. Like 11 o'clock coming into work. Um, yeah. <laughs> you bringing up 11 o'clock reminds me that even though we watched primarily rush hour for our little study, mm -hmm. that big, long back line persists until about 8, 9 p.m. Oh, wow. Um, I think our big conclusion or our best guess there was that people felt like they had to join the back line because if you're coming from the Nest or University Boulevard, you're going to see the back line before you see the front two doors. Mm -hmm. And once there's more than about 10 people, 
it feels like you're cutting in front of them, mm-hmm. which it really shouldn't. There's three doors. But I think the big conclusion I'd like to share with any listeners is that if you're going to go for the R4, line up for the middle, line up for the front door and start that line. Otherwise, you might not make it home in time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wonder if it's because if the um, <clears throat> if the R4 audience hadn't, if the people who are taking the R4 uh, don't line up nicely, mm-hmm. um, they, they're blocking all the other bus stops because it does have a bit of a right. choke point. Whereas the 99 is at the end of the bus loop and uh, they're not blocking really any traffic. So right, so you just, can place yourself wherever you'd like to on the 99. Exactly. Yeah. I've definitely noticed with the 44 mm-hmm. um, since the pandemic, uh, it used to be that people would line up nicely for the 44 uh, and they kind of do now. But as uh-huh. soon as the bus opens its doors, uh, the line dissolves and everyone just rushes the bus. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that reminds me too. One thing we didn't have that other bus stops might have are just painted lines on the ground to guide people. I know Commercial has one for the 99 down in uh, East Vancouver, but they don't up here. And uh, I feel like that might help just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Which course was that for again? Science 300. Okay, excellent. Now, I'm curious, um, why do you think that good science communication is important? No matter how much you know or how much you learn, you're only limited by how much you can share. Uh, You could be the smartest person, but being unable to communicate that or inspire others to expand on your work is useless. That's why science communication is so important. Like you mentioned earlier, you had that one professor who was nervous and didn't feel like he could confidently speak or teach his students. That hampers his ability, it hurts his credibility, and it hurts you as students who paid for this course and expected a university-level experience. This extends from university all the way down to little kids. We need to be able to make sure that we can transfer the knowledge in hopes that they can do whatever they want with it. Again, Mm -hmm. it's about making sure they have the tools they need to excel. Again, that's a very um, advanced way of thinking about science communication. It's not about changing minds. It's about giving them the tools to make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, Do you identify as belonging to any underrepresented communities? And if so, has that impacted your studies in any way? I was reviewing the 2021 census as a part of a class recently, and I found out that I'm, well, I knew that I was Filipino, but I found out that only about 3% are Filipino across Canada, and one in four people are racialized groups. So I guess technically Mm -hmm. I am a visible minority, whether or not I feel like it. But something I learned growing up is... uh, I don't really feel like I've been disadvantaged or advantaged by being a visible minority in Canada. I grew up in the Philippines for the first 10-ish years of my life where everybody I knew was Filipino or Chinese. So if you were a doctor, lawyer, or engineer, the big three for all parents, it seems, (laughs) it was a very realistic goal for me. I knew that I could achieve it if I wanted to. And moving to Canada only helped me realize that those big three aren't all I have. I still feel that I have the I have the means to pursue those careers if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But it helps that in Canada, I feel like I don't have to. I could try different things out and I have a better opportunity or so it seems versus where I came from. So to me, although I'm a visible minority, I think I'm lucky enough to be able to say that I feel like it's empowered me more than it's ever uh, hurt me or made me feel less than. Excellent. I'm, I'm glad it hasn't been an issue. I'm surprised it's uh, that small um, a percentage, but um, yeah. <laughs> I think being in BC is a big factor as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I live in Richmond now, so the Filipino-Chinese community is about 
as integrated as it gets. So that might be part of why I don't feel it. But being in BC, we're definitely an anomaly compared to the rest of Canada. I'm from Manitoba and um, Tagalog occasionally rivals French for the second most spoken language. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, it's a Is huge... that a recent development? Uh, it started around the time I left. I think it's second or third. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Um, now, you are, again, in a bit of an odd boat, existing at the center of three different uh, fields. Um, but do you feel that these fields are open and welcoming, or are they more, more closed off and insular, or is one um, kind of a standout? I know some of the departments uh, have a very different vibe. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like our department is very chill. Uh, some departments are much more high-strung. Uh -huh. <laughs> but yeah, what's your take? That's a great way of looking at it. I think I tend to agree with what you've noticed. When it comes to environmental sciences, the classes, the instructors, and the people I take them with tend to be more, like you mentioned, more chill. They're more willing to work through problems with me slowly or not even talk about the class specifically in or out of class times. It's been a little bit more easygoing. And it, I think it helps to know that a lot of the class topics in environmental science revolve around the concerns of a warming climate, or bad things happening to our beaches. It, it helps to have a more positive attitude when you know things aren't going too well on a global scale. Comparing that to now chemistry and life sciences, I think those tend to stereotypically and in my experience also attract um, people that want to pursue medicine or dentistry like myself previously. And especially in the earlier years, it can be a little tight. We don't have a direct path to those professional degrees here in Canada, as far as I'm aware, or at least at UBC for sure. So people who self-identify as wanting to become a dentist or doctor in my group work have been a challenge sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's hard to express that you can be the best at what you do and be relatable too. Um, that doesn't always work out. Um, like in the NBA, Michael Jordan was probably not the best guy to have on your team if you wanted to have a chill experience like environmental science. <laughs> but I think that's a general overview in my experience of what it's been like working through these three subjects. You had me confused for a moment. I thought Michael Jordan did an MBA here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you imagine? <laughs> I could. <laughs> He turned out to be quite a, a decent business person. You know what? Yeah, it would probably translate fine, but I don't think he'd need that accreditation. No, not so much. <laughs> now, um, which courses do you think have been the most important in uh, getting to you where you are now? I have three I'd really like to highlight. The first one I talked about earlier, Science 300. I think that's exclusive to combined major in science students. But the other two, I think, are available for everyone else. The first one requires no prerequisites. That one's biology 323, fungal reproduction. Oh. And I thought I would never take that course, but it was because I needed a life science credit to satisfy my upper year uh, graduation requirements. What started off as a requirement that just fit because I had no prerequisites turned into what would become the most field experience I'd get in my undergrad degree. Again, 24 months in COVID with hybrid schooling and being completely online didn't help with getting out. But this course has a component uh, that includes a two-day excursion to Capilano, mm. where your goal is to collect as many mushrooms as you can. It doesn't help that we've had dry spells for the past two <laughs> or three years. So looking for mushrooms was a big challenge. It took us a long time, but we were surprised with what we found. It also allowed me the chance to work in the lab and to actually do gene analysis, I think it was. Mm. I remember the goal was to find a mushroom and to identify it. And I thought it would be easy because they all look different. 
I quickly found out that some genuses like Rasula are extremely difficult to identify. We did everything from locate, uh, identifying the plants near it, finding out what kind of uh, environment it lived in, biting into them and tasting them. I thought that was not recommended, but our prof yeah. bit into almost everything that we had and spat it out afterwards. <laughs> I found some weird tastes. Some would make your tongue tingle, make you worry you'd have to leave and go to the hospital. Some tasted like chalk and some tasted like seafood. None of which we were brave enough to swallow, but the taste was enough. I think, again, it's such an important course because it gives you the lab experience you might not have if you didn't pursue biochemistry or a chemistry degree. The second class that I'd like to highlight is Atmospheric Sciences 313. I forget what it actually covers specifically, but I do remember that a lot of the course is focused on... Um, a lot of the course is focused on case studies. They apply real problems with regards to... Oh, I remember now. It's about climate change and sustainable means of harnessing energy. Mm -hmm. That includes solar, wind, and it's a bit a third one. Hydro? Hydro, right. So it applies it, especially in the context of BC and Canada. And you actually get to work with numbers and spreadsheets to find out what the best recommendation is for a specific scenario. Let's say Jeff, who owns a farmhouse, wants to start a solar a set of solar panels on his roof, would it be worth it for him? And what things would he have to consider regarding the location of his home? He lives in BC, but there happens to be a big tree beside him. Does that really matter? So these are the kind of weekly assignments we had in at Sci 313 that challenged me to think about how the knowledge I've gained over the past four years at the time would actually apply to the real world. It also gives you something to put on your resume if you don't have much work experience because you'd actually be able to show that you were able to produce some sort of reports mm -hmm. in the context of uh, environmental science. Yeah, it's a, a new course uh, and it sounds like it's quite a, a, a big hit. You're doing your undergrad and um, like any big undertaking, I mean, you've been doing this for five years. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not done in a vacuum. Well, part of yours was done in a vacuum. Right, but, right. Um, it was quite stressful, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you had some support. Um, who inspired you while you've been doing this uh, program? Throughout the years, I think the source of inspiration has changed many times. So I think it would be well worth it to, to highlight some of those people. At the start, the biggest inspiration, I think, were my parents. Both of them pursued postgraduate degrees. Uh, it was law and medicine. So the stress in the household seemed like it would be really high, but I'm very, very thankful that they were more than willing to let me pursue any degree as long as I finished college, mm -hmm. which I think is understandable seeing the lifestyle that afforded them and the opportunities. And well, their marriage came from meeting each other in post, uh, postgraduate studies. Oh. So knowing that background, it's totally understandable to see how thankful and glad they were that they were afforded these opportunities by that experience. They don't care what I pursue. They just want me to apply myself and to reach for whatever I want to reach for. So at the start, that was a big help. Uh, in the middle of my studies, another big source of inspiration were my friends and colleagues. They didn't even have to be close friends because, well, COVID makes you friends with people from India, from the other side of Canada, and your neighbor down the street who you don't really want to see because you might catch something that we're still not <laughs> sure what it was at the time. Um, but those people would, whether or not they were going through other challenges, would remind me that it was worth trying. That was a big challenge throughout COVID for me where it felt like it wasn't clear what I was working towards and knowing that other people either felt the same way or had similar challenges, but still persevered made it that much easier to get through uh, studying remotely. 
Now, as I enter the twilight years of my undergraduate degree, my biggest sources of inspiration are all the people who have jobs that don't line up with their degree. <laughs> An example being yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think to me, it just reminds me that no matter how hard stuck I am on pursuing a certain degree, a certain occupation, or maybe the complete opposite where I feel lost, me carrying the same values that I've helped me get here will probably get me to the next step. And it's comforting and helpful to know that I should probably just do my best and continue doing what I think will be most applicable for my interests moving forward. Some of the uh, best um, interviews I've had have been from people who have said exactly that. Um, it's good to have a direction, mm -hmm. but it's also not good to be so focused on the destination mm -hmm. that you miss blatant opportunities that right. fall into your lap um, and make adjustments when necessary. Um, so I think that's a very good and healthy attitude to have. <laughs> so you are at the very beginning of your career. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, you haven't even started it yet. <laughs> right, right. But you are doing uh, science communication certainly right now as we speak, literally. Um, I'm curious, where do you see this um, field going? And uh, what changes do you see coming down the pike that someone um, who's a little older like myself may not catch? I think a challenge that everybody will face on a rolling basis, regardless of where you are when it comes to age or seniority, is finding ways to reach the specific audience. Uh, I've worked with the Science Undergraduate Society throughout the three, four years in my degree. And it's always been a challenge to find the right medium and the right language to reach certain people. I think a big goal is always to inform as many people and to make sure that everybody's on the same page. But it's unrealistic to expect that you'll be able to have the tools or the knowledge or the likability to reach certain audiences. I think it harkens back to the idea of increasing diversity in STEM. And it really expands to every facet of our lives mm -hmm. because some people have credibility that we don't. If I were to advise you on what EV you should get, you probably would listen, but I am probably not the best source. Um, I don't drive, I commute to school, and I only have at most five years driving experience probably here in BC. So having people who have credibility in different communities and being able to identify what it is that makes different people tick is an ongoing challenge, especially in the space of science communication. Excellent. That's a great point to bring up. Um, I know there have certainly been a few outreach initiatives that I've um, tried, mm -hmm. and I realized afterward that I was just reaching people who looked like me, uh -huh. and I was essentially um, reinforcing the uh, right. the um, well, the whiteness of right, the field. Right. Um, and so it's good to have diverse perspectives because um, your perspective on how to reach uh, other communities uh, would be very different than my own perspective. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also easy to feel like you or anyone else might not have the that it factor or something that makes them special. But the things that make you you, the things you don't necessarily flaunt, are what make you special. You're able to make references to things that other people in different countries don't experience, and you're able to draw on experiences that only you and your family have. But you might find out that other families have that too. Mm -hmm. so I think it's important that people don't minimize what they have and to just lean into themselves. Now, before I let you go, um, 
it's the middle of July. What are you doing on campus? Um, I have three things I've been up to on campus in this past uh, in this past month of July and the rest of the summer. One was I was working with a STEM company based out of Brampton. Uh, it was remote work, so I was developing their curriculum for STEM education for students in, I think it was grade one to grade 10. We finished the internship, so the details aren't as important anymore. And currently, I'm working as a video editor for the Science Undergrad Society and also working with the Vancouver Summer Program under Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences. And what is the Vancouver Summer Program? The Vancouver Summer Program is an opportunity for international students from across the world to get a taste of what it's like to study at UBC in their program of choice. I know subjects range from business, medicine, dentistry, and to earth and ocean sciences. Wonderful. Well, it seems like you've got quite the, uh, the busy summer. <laughs> I have, yeah. And it's been, really, it's been really fun. Good. Well, thank you for sharing your passion and your, um, your experience. Um, your program sounds really interesting and like it could be uh, the wave of the future. I know um, many of the, the top scientists have said mm -hmm. interdisciplinarianism uh, is, the, is the wave of the future. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're um, cresting that wave, I think. It's exciting news. I look forward to seeing where you go, and um, I'm sure we'll be hearing more of you. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Cheers. Thank you for listening to On Earth. On Earth is hosted by me and produced by myself, Kirsten Hodge, our editor, Sarah Robertson, and Ollie Beattie designed our logo. On Earth is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Department of Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences here at the University of British Columbia. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash podcast or listen in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And see you next week here on Earth.